0: everybody. This is the latest iteration of our podcast series, TP Matters. My name is Michael Baker. I'm a partner with PwC specializing in transfer pricing. And I've with me today two of my colleagues, Cornelia Espost, who is a director and Hanita Wadani, a senior manager. Um, Hanita is particularly important on this call because she dealt with the topic in India when it came out there. So what is our topic? We are talking about APAs, uh, which is Advanced Pricing Agreements. And essentially, um, an APA is when you go to SARS and you want advanced agreements as to how the TP is going to be working. So SARS is starting a pilot APA program Anita, you've got experience with APAs from your days in India. Talk to me about that.
1: Sure, thanks, my good. So I was just re- researching online a little bit about Indian APAs that were signed recently. So I see that uh, in twenty twenty two, India assigned ninety five APAs. So out of which. Uh, 63 were unilateral APAs and 32 were bilateral stroke multilateral APAs. And in all, I think India has signed uh, 516 APAs um, out of which 420 are unilateral and 96 are bilateral or multilateral APAs. Um, with my experience, I'm working on APAs, what I understand is, is its arrangement between the taxpayer and the tax authorities uh, covering international transactions or potentially affected transactions for the South African taxpayer context uh, with a view to solve potential tax disputes in a cooperative manner. Um, the taxpayer and the tax authorities they both agree on a transvising method in advance. Which would be applied, um, and is also sort of an application of, um, you know, the method, uh, the pricing, etc. The process that is followed in a in a transpricing compliance, uh, which is agreed way ahead with the tax authorities, and it could be for the future years. It could be three years or five years, um, and. In my analysis, uh, uh, therefore, an APA is basically, um, you know, it's it's a pre-transaction kind of process rather than doing like a post-mortem. And it it, it suddenly, you know, gives a lot of benefits to the taxpayer and the tax authorities to work in a cooperative environment.
0: Excellent. So it's essentially that you're going to revenue and you're saying, we propose to enter into these transactions. This is how we want to do the transfer pricing on it. SARS, do you agree? And if if you're only going to SARS and only they're doing it, that would be a multi- a unilateral APA. SARS has been talking about doing bilaterals rather than unilateral. So SARS would then talk to the other revenue. And before you even started all your transactions, You'd have given them the recipe of how you're going to do it from a tp perspective the two revenues give it their blessing and it takes all the uncertainty off off the table fantastic um so i can see why taxpayers want that because it gives them certainty you know, it's interesting years ago the whole thing about tax planning was to reduce the amount of tax the last few years yeah in line with Beps and you know, the, the crackdown on tax havens, and certainly with Pillar Two coming in, than that, you, you're seeing much more focus on compliance. So you're not actually saving tax necessarily; you're just paying the right amount in the right jurisdiction, and you, you're getting all your compliance correct. So that's that's quite useful. An APA process really helps you there. Um, okay, so we spoke a little bit about SARS draft legislation appears to be limited to bilateral. But we understand from discussions with SARS, that no, they think that it also goes wider to multilateral. What does that mean, Anita? Can you talk to me about the different types of APAs? How does it work?
1: Yeah, so there are essentially three types of APAs. The first one is the unilateral APA, where uh, the taxpayer of that country agrees with the tax, uh, tax authority of the same country uh, on the pricing of the transaction and the taxes that needs to be paid uh, for the transaction. Uh, but just to make it a little bit more complex and on the basis that trans pricing is, is a two-way uh, street, you know, you, you're doing transactions with group entities, um, and the group entity is also paying taxes in their respective countries so there is a there's another level which covers bilateral apas and multilateral apas which is either involving one uh, two uh two countries and two in multilateral apas you will have two or more countries so uh it, it's basically it, a bilateral APA allows you to agree the tax upfront with the other other tax authorities as well, which is uh which is more beneficial than a unilateral APA, I guess. And um I think Corneli will talk a little bit more about that.
0: Mm. So Corneli th source isn't the keen on unilateral APAs, which is the simplest. So I go to SARS and say, SARS, I'm selling widgets to another country. Um, I'm selling them at a cost plus five percent, for example. Are you happy with this? And SARS says yes or no, it should be four, you six percent. and you hammer something out, and SARS then lives with it, and they won't, you know, they'll accept that, they won't backtrack on that. But the other country might not. But if I just get the one country in there, then that's a unilateral APA. Typically, that's the simplest way, and I would have thought it's an easy way to start the process. SARS isn't keen on that. Why would that be?
2: Thanks, Michael. So based on the discussions with National Treasury and SARS, it appears definitely as you've indicated that SARS does not appear to be very keen on multilateral. Now, there appears to be multiple reasons for this. So one of this is that the the SARS is of the view that the other country may not agree with SARS's position and that at the end of the day, Because SARS then issues a position paper that says this is our position on the taxation. The other country then doesn't agree with that, and that in and of itself may lead to a dispute down the line, which then may back itself into a mutual agreement procedure. And I'll talk about MAP versus APA shortly. The other part is obviously in your TP documentation requirements, there's also a requirement to submit copies of any unilateral APAs. So that means that other people could potentially see what is the unilateral APA that's been given in Africa. Now, coming back to maps and APAs and disputes, so APA is an upfront agreeing of why the transaction should be treated from a transfer pricing perspective, where a map is something different. In terms of a map, you already have the transaction, there's a dispute that arises, and then you enter into the mutual agreement process to essentially obtain relief from double taxation. So the ones are very much down the line. But as I say, SARS is worried that if they unilaterally agree something up front, the other party will not agree with it. That's going to lead to a dispute that is going to lead into a a map. Now, coming back to unilateral and South Africa, and also quite interesting is the stats that Anita gave in front. As you would see from her stats, um, the majority of the APAs in India are actually unilateral APAs. Now, a further point on this is that the, 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 the legislation that's out there at the moment does appear to envisage doing this with treaty partners, but what about other countries, especially, for example, some of the countries in Africa where there is no double tax agreement or where that country does not have an APA program, then at least having a unilateral APA in place does at least give you some level of certainty, because at the end of the day, one of the main points about an APA is all around certainty. Now another reason that SARS I suspect might be hesitant about unilateral is that obviously finding their feet with this whole um, process and perhaps initially they would prefer the bilateral let's call it training wheels of having the other authority and perhaps thinking about a more advanced authority like the US or the UK involved to essentially almost help with that process and sort of uplift SARS in the process so they also get experience with it. But I think from a taxpayer perspective, it would have been very helpful if unilateral APAs was definitely an option available to them.
0: Yeah, particularly when you are dealing with, say, tax havens, which SARS always views with suspicion, so you know they're going to look at that transaction, the tax haven may not have transfer pricing at all. So you just wouldn't need to only get the one side right. But I do take the point that SARS wants to uplift their skills, and they can leverage off the experience of the, the other revenues with that. So that does make sense. Um, my understanding in the, is that SARS has got quite limited uh, capacity. So there aren't that many people at SARS who can do this, because this is quite specialized, difficult work, and it will take quite a lot of time to do APAs. So, I mean, thanks very much, SARS, for, for, for bringing this in. I think it will be fantastic. Uh, I do think they, and SARS acknowledges, they're going to struggle with capacity in, in-house. So, given that there are significant benefits from an APA program, when is SARS planning on introducing this pilot program? And do we have any details yet as who would be able to participate? I don't know if you know any detail about that. Thanks, Michael. So at this stage, the
2: pilot program will only start on a date to be declared by the minister by notice in the government gazette. It's therefore not yet clear when this pilot program will get going. Now, a key missing aspect to start this process is the publication of a public notice which will specify the procedures and guidelines for the implementation and operation of the APA program. At this stage that um, practice note or interpretation note has not yet been released. And we also understand that public consultation will be undertaken before this is finalized. It's therefore unclear if this will come in in the next few months or not. I think the important point to take out of this is that A, it is definitely on SARS's radar and we understand that the commissioner is keen to get this going, is that there is something like this on the radar and it is important for taxpayers to already become part of this process now to provide input into drafting this practice now to ensure that SARS takes taxpayer feedback into account based on the experience of APA programs in other jurisdictions. So the message therefore for our audience out there is be part of the process to get a system in place which practically works for you as the taxpayers. Um, due to the limited capacity of SARS, which we have alluded to, it is quite likely that they will limit the access to the program to taxpayers with material complex transactions, and they may also limit the number of applications. So if you have a large complex material transaction, I think it will be very important to get involved as soon as possible so that you're into the door sooner rather than later, especially as we understand that they may only serve taxpayers on a first come first serve basis based on the feedback sessions that we've been attending.
0: Okay, so that's useful to know. So when the thing starts, And you probably should start getting your ducks in a row beforehand. If you are a group that would like to do APAs and you think you're going to qualify, you sort of talk to us beforehand because you want to be able to pull the trigger fairly quickly when it does start because there's going to be limited capacity uh, from SARS and they may do first come, first serve. When we had discussions with them, they weren't sure exactly how they're going to do it, but that seemed to be. The, the tenet of the of the discussions right um, you mentioned large and complex transactions Corneli, Hanita do we have any guidance on what this would be what does it mean everything's complex in TP
1: <laughs> exactly Michael uh, there's no guidance on it yet um in the draft legislation as to what is a larger complex transaction and i think this will be clarified in in the practice note or the public a public notice or whichever is, is issued by sars uh on apas uh, but in my experience large and complex transactions would be something in, involving um, complex um, intangibles within the group because it is essentially important to uh, test it from both sides of uh, for such intangibles that are involved in the transactions. Like, you know, also in a residual profit uh, split method where you need to te- test uh, the routine returns or, and the residual returns, which is basically, Uh, depending
0: upon the intangibles within the group. Yeah. Okay. So, so whatever, yeah, whatever they decide to accept or not, my understanding is this is a big deal. This is a big change or a big step forward in the South African TP landscape. Anita, given your, your experience in India, would you say that's a fair, fair assumption that this is, it's not just a minor thing, this is actually something big and important?
1: um yes it is a really important for taxpayers to have this kind of certainty and also you know uh having a reduction in the documentation process or uh minimizing or mitigating the risk of audits and what could be the outcome of the audits this is actually a really large step in terms of South African tax legislation and I'm really excited for this.
0: Mm, And that's what's interesting here and one of the reasons why it's important to get this right up front is if you've got TP adjustments not only do they say now you're paying too much for for goods not only do they reduce the expense in South Africa so uh, you know, the, the outbound money is becomes less from a TP point of view. But any TP adjustment, unlike most places in the world, there's a secondary adjustment. So it's a deemed dividend and there's withholding tax and SARS says, you know, that is 20%. So if you get it wrong, it's not so much a question later on, oh, you can just fix it up and you're back to where you were, but there is this deemed dividend withholding tax, that's leaving out interest and penalties as well. So the cost of getting it wrong is big, and it's not that easy to get it right, because you've got another revenue on the other side saying, hey, I also want more money. So finding that balance between them is tricky. And if you get it wrong, it costs you. So that's what's useful about the APA program. It's enabling you to get it right first time. Yeah.
2: and Michael, on that, also, obviously, the APA is issued for a certain period of time. And to your earlier point about adjustments, as we know, SaaS doesn't always just go in and just look at one year, they look at multiple years, which means the addition of various years into a, an assessment often can become quite large. So having this a certainty certainly upfront for a number of years, I think is incredibly beneficial to taxpayers because it definitely limits your exposure and gives you that key thing in tax that you want, which is certainty, which is a really, really important component of managing your tax compliance uh, affairs.
0: And, and one also, of the uncertainties in that legislation was so, so seemed to say that Yes, it's prospective, but they also seem to say that there was a an element of retrospectivity about it. So you can go in, and it takes a while to do your you go through the APA, and they could say that yes, this ruling can go back two years because you haven't done your tax returns yet or, or whatever, um, and it would also go forward. That when we questioned SARS, um, that wasn't terribly clear how that's going to work. And they're going to come back with with further clarity on it. So this this is the whole thing is a bit of a moving target. SARS is trying to, you know, smooth a bit here, angle it a bit there, and get it get it working. But it's it's all going in in the direction of of something happening, which is fantastic. So SARS discussed this draft, you know, proposed process in the legislation. Talk to us a little bit about, and just give a flavour, yeah, don't kill us with detail, but what will the process entail? Obviously, SARS is still working on the legislation. My perhaps cynical observation was that some of their timelines appear to be rather optimistic. In real life things are, don't go so quickly, but talk to me.
1: Yeah, so, Michael, the way I see in the legislation, the draft legislation, it it is uh, somewhat aligned to international practices, like, you know, we all have uh, pre-consultation meetings, and then there's an application process, there's a negotiation that goes on, there's a position paper that both bodies agree to, and you know, then there's an outcome of the APA. Basically, you need to sign um, the APA and agree to the terms and conditions. And then obviously there's also uh, monitoring of the APA audit, etc. Uh, But uh, from, uh, from the guidelines that I see or the draft legislation, what I see is that uh, sources proposing a window of 90 to 60 days uh, for some of the activities. Oh, I mean, I think they need to be a little careful here because uh, they it, it is also involving uh, tax authority from another country, which is Oh, which may not, not be oh, feasible to have like a pre-consultation meeting like in 60 days and then you need to file an application within 90 days. So uh, that's what is uh, being optimistic, I would call that, but uh, but their process is more or less aligned to um, international practices. And I guess, you know, this is a pilot project. So once they have like hands on experience on how much time does it take to actually go through this process, they might, you know, alter the timelines in the near future. So I'm being I'm being optimistic about that, I guess.
0: <laughs> I, I think you've raised something important there that this is sort of almost like a practice period. This is SARS has called this a pilot project. So, you know, the both South African taxpayers, as well as SARS, who haven't done this before, are going to be finding their feet and trying to work the, work out how to make this thing most effective and efficient. So it's going to be a learning process for everyone. But I do think the the outcome is going to be fantastic if we can get it to work, because we've seen overseas that it really is uh, a good. Program to have because it gives you the certainty that you want. Okay, so the next question or the next point was you've got, you go to the SARS with this APA program and you, you're showing them everything, but SARS is also your, your auditors. Um, we raised that with, with SARS. Uh, Cornelio, Janita, do you want to talk to a little bit about that?
2: Yes, Michael, so I think that's quite an important point because if you are putting all the stuff on the table and and the way the legislation is currently drafted, it appears to envisage quite a comprehensive pre-consultation meeting, which is why then the timeline to actually submit the application is is perhaps on the shorter side, whereas what perhaps people in practice were thinking about is perhaps something lighter touch on the pre-consultation meeting because at that stage, you don't have certainty that SARS will accept this. So, there was also recommendations around perhaps making the initial meeting slightly lighter touch. But coming back to it, at the end of the day, what you need in an ideal world is separate teams within SARS and that there's Chinese walls between those teams. And then the other aspect is obviously these these things take years to agree in practice. I think sort of periods of about 36 months was the type of periods that's being mentioned when we've had discussions about around this. Now, one of the things, that one that has been sort of spoken about is also well what if you need you submit your APA but in the interim you need to start with those transactions you need to start with the business but the APA is not finalized then let's say a dispute arises because let's say this APA is really drawn out so there should be a mechanism in there that should allow an order to stop whilst an APA is under process Um, so yes there needs to be Chinese walls but there just to sort of safeguard taxpayer secrecy but at the same time if there is an APA and an audit should start then that audit should ideally be paused until such time as the APA is finalized and that will also go towards SARS's whole objective of well we've got limited resources how do we use it best. Now I think the negative if one has to have that that's probably going to come with that is that if one had to have something like that property prescription would also need to be paused. Um, So that's probably the one downside of that. But definitely there needs to be sort of an interplay between an audit and the APAs that sort of the APA goes first and then the audit can follow. And in any event, with your implementation of your APA, there is checks and balances in any event afterwards. Also to check that your assumptions remain correct and that you've applied it correctly in any event. But that really requires that taxpayer, um, confidentiality, etc., is respected within the relevant teams.
0: Okay, thank you. So, and, yeah, we have raised this both in written and verbal discussions with with SARS. The, the human being championing this process and driving it seems to be Franz Tomasek at SARS. I think he's got his work cut out for him. It's a, it's a, a big thing to bring in, uh, particularly with limited limited resources and teams. But I think it's yeah, it's something that everyone in the TP industry, as it were, is pushing for. So I think I think it's a it'll be a fantastic feather in his, his cap if he brings it in and it's successful. Um, so it's a big development. Uh, any closing comments? Anything further you want to raise, Cornelia and Anita? I think it would be great if we can start sooner rather than later,
2: and that yeah. the guidance can come out. Um, yeah, I think that's my closing comment. Is the sooner we can get this going, the better.
0: Okay, thanks very much, everyone, uh, and to the listeners, thank you for listening to us. And let's all hold thumbs that this comes in sooner and works. Cheers. Cheers.
1: Thanks, guys.
0: All rights reserved. PwC refers to the South African member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com forward slash structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes and should not be used as substitute for consultation with professional advisors.